I find it much more interesting to try and go learn other people and other people's perspective and what their thoughts are. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Alexander the Great. I am not afraid of an army of lions led by sheep. I am afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. My guest today and one of my favorite experts on leadership is Eric Kapitulik. Eric served in the U.S. Marine Corps, both as an infantry officer and a special operations officer with the 1st Reconnaissance Company, 1st Marine Division. As a platoon leader with his company, he led a team of 20 covert operations specialists on numerous special forces-related missions. And after leaving active duty, Eric founded the program in 2008 with the sole purpose of developing better leaders and creating more cohesive teams. He and his team have worked with hundreds of the best teams, including most of the elite college athletic teams. Eric, welcome to back to the Elevate podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I love being on it. There's a lot of hard things to pronounce in your introduction. Really and, and speaking to you, even, <laughs> even though, man, you made that intro. I mean, man, if that's that might be the most challenging thing you do all day. So, that, yeah. That is. Now, now the work's on you. So, we yeah. uh, we dug into your background quite a bit on your first appearance on the show. We've got a lot of new listeners. So I'd encourage them to check it out. It was actually episode 14, so one of the really uh, early ones. So um, I, I'd love to start with a question I'm, I'm asking all returning guests. What's the most significant change in your life or business since uh, this little pandemic thing we had starting in March 2020? What a great question. Um, well, let's talk about the pandemic. I certainly feel and am very empathetic for people who lost their job because of COVID, yeah. who lost a loved one, somebody close to them, right? I mean, it's that's horrible to say the least. Um, but, but that wasn't the case for the Capitulics. We nobody that we were close to died from COVID, and and my wife and I kept our job, and and really, I thought that. COVID was very good for the program, quite frankly. Yeah. It really highlighted the importance of the things that we teach culture, having a strong culture, having goals. Yes. And, and goal accomplishment is, is key to success, but, but mission critical long-term is having a strong culture that helps us achieve those goals on a continuous basis. Right. And so it really we looked at it we when covid hit we said all right look what a great opportunity we have and we framed it as such yeah. so let's make sure that we look at this as an opportunity and what's that opportunity there's lower cost providers of the services that we provide there are and they're lower cost because it's lower quality they have people who work part time doing yeah. leadership development. Everybody at the program's full time. What a great opportunity we have now to show everybody, not just clients, but hey, let's reach out to those people who turned us down for a lower cost provider because their lower cost provider is not there to help them right now in these times of extreme challenge, right? Yeah. But the program will be. And so it gives us a great opportunity number one there and then so you don't only have to have the right mindset, but then you got to go and do something 
to, to make it the right mindset. Right. So, but we, we had the right mindset and then we went and did things to, uh, to make COVID instead of it being bad, we looked at it as an opportunity. So and the program changed significantly because of it. We never did virtual services pre COVID. Yeah. Now virtual services are a big part of our, of our revenue stream. So that's a big change, but look, the important stuff is life in life is wife and kids. Right. And, yeah. and biggest change in my life is we, our kids are older. Uh, my wife's and my relationship is better and everything else kind of pales in comparison to it. Well, related to that, I, I think a big practice in the military and something you teach in a lot of your trainings is this sort of after action report concept, right? Yeah, kind of debrief, looking at, yeah. yeah, debrief. Look, in the early days of COVID, you and I debated a lot on, on some things and talked, you know, shared ideas on stuff. You know, one thing that's occurring to me is that, and but you and I didn't make any policy that impacted a lot of people. So our <laughs> no. our opinions were our opinions, but like, you know, whatever, some people did. And, you know, one thing that's occurred to me is I think a lot of people were right. A lot of people were wrong. I haven't heard much from the policymakers and the people that were wrong around what did we, what did we not get right? What can we learn from it? What can we do better last time? It's been pretty quiet on that front. What's your, what's yeah. your take on that? Yeah. First of all, I'm glad you brought that piece up that during COVID, you and I had oh, is, is heated thoughtful the right dialogue. Word? Yeah. Is <laughs> it's heated discussions the right word? Thoughtful dialogue. Okay, great. You know, people always say, well, you can't talk, don't, don't ever talk to your friends about religion or politics. And yeah. I always think, now Why? it's really politics. Religion's totally safe compared to politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that's true, right? <laughs> but like, I'm, I always think, like, why? I'm not a child. Yeah. Right. Like, well, I can't talk to them about politics. Like, first of all, our discussions that we had surrounding COVID, I find fascinating. Right. Like, yeah. here, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I I'm not trying to change your mind. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you what I believe. And you believe something different. So, OK, tell me what you believe and don't try to change my mind while you do it. But argue passionately for it right right and maybe it alters you know i, I was talking to someone this week around like sometimes someone who totally disagree with 10 percent of what they say could augment your own viewpoint 100 percent. and so maybe i don't maybe like you don't get proven right but i mean prove myself right i mean how childish am i why did why does proving myself right matter right like for me i just want to learn more and gain a better understanding and by having that, maybe we get to a better place. Well, the only way we gain a better understanding and get to a better place is for me to have conversations with you like we did about COVID, right? Yeah. But it can be politics or any, you know, uh, social justice, you know, all of those things with people I don't agree with who share their experiences with me. But we got to do it in a thoughtful manner, right? Yeah. I mean, not screaming and yelling at each other, not calling each other names. I mean, so I, I still remember that. I'm not I'm just not sure we've learned anything for the next one. <laughs> you know, if we don't go through this cycle of what was what was objectively right, what was objectively wrong, how would we handle it differently next time? I I, I keep waiting for, you know, some of these books to come out. I you know, that sort of yeah, what did we learn? And you know, from a leadership standpoint, I haven't seen them yet. I know and and you know, well, <laughs> probably an indication that we have a lot of administrators in leadership positions and not a lot of leaders in leadership positions. Democrat, Republican, both. Yeah, look, I, I'm pretty centrist on most things. I'm not part of either party. I, but I, and a lot of times where I have argued with people around is 
they feel like you can't hold a politician to a leadership standard. You know, I'm like, look, that this is either side. Like there are leadership behaviors and there are non-leadership behaviors. It's not politics. It's it's leadership. And, you know, both of them, like an example, I wrote the TikTok hearings were like an atrocity from both parties on asking this guy questions, not even want to listen to his answers, you know, working on their own social media clips. Like it didn't matter what side you were on, like horrible leadership. What do you think? Do you think our politicians are a reflection of our society or is our, <laughs> our society a reflection of the politicians? You're asking if we're getting the leaders we deserve? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I mean, like we elect these people, right? Or is it, well, you got to elect somebody. So what do you think? I don't know. I, I think power is is corrupting. Look, again, irrespective of whichever side you're on, this is part of my new presentation. We're about to have two 80-year-olds run for president. Right. Neither of whom is willing to pass the torch <laughs> to the next to the next generation. I, the problem is, I think that people are always running for reelection. Like, I think if we if I had to fix something, I would say, run your term, make your mark. You, you know, you're not worried about being reelected. Um, and I think that's where we're we're stuck, that people are stuck between what they really believe in. And no one wants to get unelected. Uh, it seems like. Yeah. Term <laughs> limits would be a good thing. Well, look, you're. A decorated veteran, uh, as we talked about in your first appearance. And, you know, I think it'd be helpful. You're talking about, I think that's where a lot of your leadership muscle was formed. Like, what was a particularly formative leadership experience or memory you have from the military? And what, again, what did you learn from that positively or or negatively? Yeah. Well, first, I think we're all a sum of our experiences, right? Yep. So, and for me, and I think for most people who would who would serve in the military, they're going to say that the military was a significant experience in their life for sure. Yeah. Right. So, but I think there's lots of experiences that I've had that have made a big impact, but from the military specifically, let me talk about two because yeah. it would, it's very difficult for me. And because just asking the question, two things come to mind. I'm sure they're both really good. So we'll take three if you have. So go ahead. Two. Well, first, <laughs> first is, uh, my Marines and I were involved in a helicopter crash. And I spoke of it the yeah. last time where six of the 10 of us on board the helicopter died that particular day. Well, within one month's time, we had six new teammates join our team and we deployed to the Gulf. But before we did so, we had to do that same mission as a training mission right before we left. Oh, I have not heard you share that for all the times we've yeah. talked. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah. Talk about getting back on the horse getting back on the horse. Now, I had compound fractured my leg during the pre during the accident. Right. Barely escaped with my life. My leg is in a full length cast. All of my marines, all my special operations marines, all my force reconnaissance marines, they had to go do this mission. And the commanding officer, the general said, "Hey, cap, you don't have to go." You come up in the commanding control bird helicopter yeah. with me. And I said, okay, yes, sir. Thank you. And the night before we did this mission, I didn't sleep that night. I tossed and turned because I knew the right thing to do. The right thing to do was to go on the same helicopter with my Marines that we just barely escaped with our lives for three weeks earlier. I knew that was the right thing to do from a leadership perspective, but I was scared. And I mean, if you're in a helicopter crash that goes into the Pacific Ocean and you, you yeah. almost drown, 
I mean, and now you're going to do it again. I mean, fear, true fear. And I struggled with it. And the following day, I was on the general's aircraft that, that all the helicopters are on the ship turning, getting ready to take off. And I mean, at the last minute, at the last minute, I said, sir, I got to go on that helicopter. And I got off of his and then with crutches, crutched over to the one that my Marines was on and crutched on into it and sat down. And I had to talk to the pilots to let them know, hey, look, I can't, I'm not fast roping down a, a rope like my Marines yeah. are. So they're all going to fast rope down. And then once they get inside, then just set the helicopter down and I'll walk off the back just kind of administratively, right? But I have to get back on that helicopter. I, I had to get back on it for me. I was just going to ask you if it was for them right? or for you. Yeah, I had to get back on it for me, but I had to do it for us. Because as a leader, you cannot ask your Marines, you can't ask your kids, your wife, you can't ask your, your spouse, you can't ask your coworkers to do something that you're not willing to do yourself, period, end of story. And going back on that helicopter, what it proved to all of my Marines was, hey, this guy's not going to ask us to do anything he's not willing to do himself. And it also proved and showed me we know the right thing to do, don't we? In, yeah. in life, I mean, as long as we doing it's up, the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> we know what the right thing is to do. And what most of us do is because of our fears, yeah. because of our fear, we go, uh, should I do it? No, I shouldn't do it. I don't know about it. And all of a sudden, the moment passes us by. And then the following day, you go, God, I should have gone. I should have gone on that helicopter, whatever the helicopter is in your life. And making that decision, it changed my life. I would be disappointed in myself to today if I didn't do it. We regret the things we don't do much more than the things we do. Boy, isn't that the case, right? So that would be number one. It stays with me. It will stay with me un until my deathbed, number one. The second thing that will always stay with me is, a very different scenario. Um, the last thing I did in the Marine Corps was work at, at back at the Naval Academy. And I was working one day there and my commanding officer came to me and he asked me, hey, will you do me this favor? Because what I was about to volunteer for, you, you can't be ordered to do. You have to volunteer for it. And that day, after volunteering, drove home, put on my dress blue uniform drove out to the eastern shore of Maryland, drove up this family's driveway, got out of my car, walked up their walkway, stood in front of their front door and rang the doorbell. And I had to stand there and wait for the mom to answer the door so that I could tell her that her son had just been shot and killed in Iraq. It's the only thing in my life that I've done that's truly hard. It's why you never hear anybody in the Capitulic family say that we had a hard practice. We had a hard day at work. What a hard economy we're dealing with. What a hard, we, we do not use that word. The death of a loved one, a sick family member, child, loved one. You want to call those things hard? No argument.
But once you've driven up that driveway, walked up those steps and rung that doorbell and had to stand there and wait for that mom to answer the door, Leah Hall, to answer the door so I could tell her that her son, Corporal Jason Hall, Malio, I'm sorry, Corporal Jason Malio, had just been shot and killed. Had just lost his life. I had to do it. There was no other choice. And the reason why I had to do it was out of respect for him, a Marine I never met, but a Marine nonetheless, and his family who produced him. Just, I had to do it. Everything else in life, <laughs> we just have challenges. And we love a challenge. Those are the two things that come to mind. Well, I guess a challenge is something you can overcome. That that situation was not, there's Smile. nothing to win there or overcome. That's right. Well, I, I, there's a parallel thing I've noticed. And I think it was inflamed during COVID around dangerous versus uncomfortable, right? And I would say that during mm. COVID, there were some things that were might have been dangerous and uncomfortable. And as the perceived or real danger went away, I think a lot of people really struggled to gain comfort, you know, back. And I, and I understand why, but I, you know, and we struggled with this with some things in our team and trying to get people back to normal. Like when you think about something dangerous, uncomfortable, what is it? Is that a similar yeah. sort of situation like because yeah. we, we need to be uncomfortable right and sometimes there's yeah. something i always say my favorite thing and we'll talk about parenting because you and i i i think the best invention in the last 20 years is not you know not not the things that most people would say it's those double hooks on obstacle courses where you totally control like going in and going out of something like so it, it created self-guided obstacle courses where before you had to have someone there where you can't get hurt but it can be really uncomfortable but you can't you know because yeah. you always one goes in and one goes out and i love that stuff yeah. for my kids because like there were times when they were super uncomfortable but they weren't unsafe and i actually think that's a, a great place to be so thoughts yeah. on all of that yeah well <laughs> i take it a step further where you could get hurt is not a reason not to do something yeah physically mentally or emotionally so I don't, with my kids, I don't even need the double hooks. If whatever you're doing, you could get hurt at, it doesn't mean not do it now. Unless it's a 50 foot tree platform. We have yeah. no, but, but look, hurt. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Hurt and death are two different things, right? Yeah. Like I take calculated risks. Okay. Yeah. But I know the point you're getting at. Right. And th I think the other thing though, too, that, that has really, where I think we we're really challenged as a society is that. You feel unsafe. Just because you feel unsafe does not mean that you are unsafe. We we forget that our feelings, how we feel, the feeling that you're having, you're not wrong. You're not wrong, but it might not be accurate. <laughs> you're not wrong, but we have to understand how we feel about things very often is wrong. Jonathan Haidt nails this in his book, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, which I don't know if you read where he said, I have. Yeah. He said the subway analogy, you know, they say, if you see something, say something and 499,000 people report things a year. And one of the things they report is an incident. So there were 400, whatever feelings that were not accurately represent a threat. Those people felt that it doesn't mean that that was accurate. Right. That's hundred percent. Right. And to your point, in, in fact, those things like, is it safe or do you feel uncomfortable? Because if we're going to make everything safe, first of all, you I have feel more like, discomfort in the end. <laughs> God, what a boring life, yeah. right? Like, 
you want to know the the quickest way to lead an unfulfilling life? Don't do anything that challenges you, that yeah. makes you uncomfortable, that you don't know that you can do, right? It's it's why getting back, you know, to parenting, right? Uh, uh, Doctor uh, Leonard Sachs, right, in Boys Adrift, wrote the job of a parent, coach, teacher, and mentor is to prepare our child for the path. The yeah. problem is, is we have too many parents, coaches, teachers, mentors trying to prepare the path for the child. I mean, we've got to, and not just for our young people, for us too, right? I mean, I, I make the analogy of the uh, monkey bars, right? Axel, my son, did Ultimate Obstacles, which is uh, like American Ninja Warrior stuff, right? And I'd always be on him about, hey, before we leave, at the end of leaving the gym here, the Ultimate Obstacle Gym, do the monkey bars one last time so you know you you beat it. Yeah. Well, I'm on the road for work, and I'm at a gym, and I... I walk past this set of monkey bars and I go and shower. And the whole time I'm showering, I'm like, man, you should really have done those. Like you asked Axel to go do the monkey bars. I got out of the shower. I put on my sweaty clothes again. I go upstairs and I went hand over hand down the monkey bars. And I went back downstairs and shout. We cannot ask people to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. Right. And doing things that you're challenged by that are uncomfortable. It's how we grow. Yeah. Just because it's uncomfortable, it's not it's not bad for you. Right. Yeah. I, no, know. in fact, I think <laughs> most of the time, I mean, there are so few times where it's truly bad for you. I mean, somebody in on American campuses now, right? Like speakers that that differ from your viewpoint. Their viewpoints make me feel unsafe. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Now. If that person is their physical health, it, like they're unsafe, meaning this person's going to inflict physical harm on you. Okay, I see it. Okay, I mean, obviously, I don't want that, right, for anybody, right? But when you say that your ideas, thoughts, feelings, that they may be questioned, disputed, you're going to feel unsafe because all of those things are questioned. Boy, they should be questioned. Yeah. And it's funny because the people saying that are probably not the people going, <laughs> you know, they're, they're boycotting anyway. So, so yeah, it's a enough. real problem. Like I, I have had a couple guests on recently who were like, uh, David Heinemer Hansen was the last one. He, he probably hasn't come out yet when, when you hear this, but he might, Derek service. He was like, I love to have my mind changed. I'm thinking like, no one says that <laughs> he's like, you know what? I read stuff I don't agree with. And again, 10% of it, it, it alters my viewpoint. It provides me from perspective. And he, it was just like, and look, those are some of the smartest people I met where they're like, look, I, 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 I like the uh, strong opinions loosely held. <laughs> That's like that. right. Yeah. Perfect example. That's right. Strong opinions, loosely held. And I think social media has a lot to play with this. Yeah. Where, sure. Like we're screaming and yelling at each other. I mean, I love as we started this conversation off. I I want to talk. You good? You feel you feel our response to COVID should be something different than me? Great. Tell me why. Yeah, right. But as soon as you start yelling at me about it, okay. Well, now this conversation's over because I don't like being yelled at. Well, we can have a thoughtful adult conversation. Oh man, that's the best. I, I was uh, a facilitator who's like a world class sort of mediator person recently, and she, you know, one of the things she highlighted and, and was so clear to me around not just social media, but some of the approaches that experts are taking. That when you put someone in a threatening position, they just shut down. Basic biology and threat. So, like, 
it, there are actually people out there doing that as a tactic of inclusion where they're putting people in a threat. Like, and it's funny, I, I actually asked her the question. I went up after the session. I said, so let me ask you, aren't there all these psychologists, neurobiologists and all this stuff who are coming out saying that like this approach has no scientific, you know, validity that somebody's been, and she's like, oh yeah, they get, they get shut down. <laughs> the other cats, like, I was like, that's so interesting. Like, these are the people who would tell you that like, if you actually want to invoke change, this is the worst possible way to approach because you're just, you're triggering people's fight or flight. That's right. Uh, it, we we use the term in, in the military and, and I have tried to do it as a parent, which is stress inoculation. Yeah. Okay. And this gets back to preparing the path for the child as well, which is for our children and for ourselves. If you want somebody to be physically, mentally, and emotionally strong, it doesn't just happen. Yeah. We have to inoculate people for that, right? So as as young people, as an example, right? You come over my house, my children are going to get up and they're going to go shake your hand and say, hello. Why do we do that? Well, first of all, look, I think it's good manners. So, okay, that's a part of it. But the other part of that is it's intimidating as a child to walk up and shake hands with an adult, interact yeah. with, with an adult, right? It's a nice low stakes thing that you can do in your own house. Yeah. So they're gonna, my kids are going to be nervous about going to do it. Yeah. So if you say, okay, well, don't do it. It makes you nervous. Okay, don't do it. Okay. But at some point in your life, you're not going to be there for your kid. And they're going to be stressed over something nervous that they have to do. And they're going to be unprepared to do it. So let's start that at the youngest age possible to develop physically, mentally, and emotionally strong people. But it starts with with children when they're young. And by the way, again, I'm saying I do it with my kids. Well, now I got to do it to myself too. And And I still put myself in uncomfortable situations, physically, mentally, emotionally. That's how I grow. If we get into this parenting, I have all these questions I want to ask you. We'll never get out. So I want, let I'm going to flip back, but let's go. So one thing that's interesting, I think you work with a lot of elite sports teams, like a lot of the top college athletic teams, best coaches. I know I hear the stats, you know, you lose 50% of the people when you talk about sports and sports analogy. But honestly, I, my experience, like from a leadership standpoint, I think these elite, elite athletic programs, like have an, an incredible amount of things that, that we can learn of and some parallels, like, you know, having a playbook, teamwork, culture, having a lead, you know, my, one of my favorites, like a coach in sports has to lead from the sidelines. They can never go take the ball and shoot it. Right. (laughs) Right. Versus so many people in business just do the equivalent of that. So what, what can leaders in your experience, what what can leaders learn from some of the the best teams and leaders that, that you've worked with both generally and then specifically, I'd love to hear some of those examples. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I agree with you. I mean, we we do work with, I mean, household names in the athletic world. And we also work, I mean, now our corporate business actually is bigger than our athletic business. And, but, you know, it's not just athletics where, you know, people will say, well, what are you going to learn about from athletics for my corporation? Right. Because when they give you a host of excuses, I remember um, Kansas State football, Bill Snyder was a Hall of Fame college coach there. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. We worked, he coached into his 80s. We worked with them when they were in their, when he was in the in his 80s. And 
what amazed me was during our work with them, he must have taken 15 pages of notes during our work with his team. The guys in the, he's already in the hall of fame. He's 80. He's going to coach for a year or two more. And he takes 15 pages of notes as we're working with he, his staff and his team. Why? Because he knows that he can learn something from someone from all different walks of life. And although the battlefield may be different, the lessons learned are universal, right? And some of those, to get back to your question, I think, first of all, do you have a growth mindset, whether you're on the athletic field or, or corporate or military, right? Do you think, man, I don't know everything, right? The old saying, you know why I'm a genius? Because I know I know nothing. You want to meet an ignorant man? Show me somebody who thinks he knows everything, right? He or she knows everything, right? So first of all, I think I'm a genius. Why? Because I know I don't know everything. I know it. Like I got a lot to learn and I want to go learn it from people who maybe some people who believe the same things that I do, but I find it much more interesting to try and go learn other people and other people's perspective and what their thoughts are from an athletic perspective and corporate perspective and lessons learned from it from elite teams right that's what we're from talking elite about teams. Yeah. yeah from elite teams i think okay let me tell you the number one thing first of all if you get enough talent on your team you just amass enough talent in talent alone you can do extremely well in one year right i mean really well you get enough studs studettes right. out there in the short term you can do well you can achieve if that's your definition of success you can achieve great success, right? If we're going to be a consistent winner, yes, we need talent, but we must have a strong culture that that talent performs within. Mm-hmm. That we have talent, but then we have a structure. And that structure is formed with what our goals as an organization are and what our standards are. Goals are performance based. Standards are behavior-based. This is what we are expected to achieve while we're here. And this is what we're how we're expected to behave while doing it. Behave in that manner, there are benefits. Don't, there's consequences. Consistent, transparent consequences. I, I heard you talk about this before. I love this. Will you double click on again what it means to not hit a goal but not hit a standard, right? I think that's where the consequence come into play or doesn't come into play, right? That's right. Well, I mean, if you consistently not meet a goal, there are some systemic consequences for not doing so. Coaches lose their job, right? Uh, Companies go out of business. Okay. So it's systemic. But by the way, in store of the benefits, consistently meeting a goal, a performance-based goal, there are systemic benefits for doing so as well. And that is where most, most teams athletic or corporate, and period. The world-class elite teams, the world-class elite corporations, they have those, they have goals, but they have standards and standards are behavior-based. And if you can, but if you consistently behave in the manner you were expected to behave in, and this is the challenge, as leaders, as an organization, there are no real systemic benefits for doing so. As you have to be very thoughtful about recognizing consistent 
meeting and exceeding standards, behaviors. By the same token, you also have to consistently enforce consequences that may not be systemic in an organization. You have a world-class athlete, but they miss curfew. Okay, there has to be a consequence. Right. And the the world-class leaders, world-class teams, they understand that, that goals are important. Goals and standards together, that's world-class. As you made me think of it, you made, it went back to our earlier discussion. I, was, I think the problem with with politics today is that there is absolutely no consequence for not meeting a standard. And everything's a double standard. You you expect the other person to have a consequence for violating it. But when your team violates it, you you explain it away. We have very little accountability now. Yeah. Not in, we say in our society, it starts in people's homes. Yeah. That's where it starts. There's very little accountability. What do I mean by that? Like, okay, so our our kids, right? My son Axel, he gets his social studies grade in school. And it's it's below the grade. Every grade, there's a rule in the school. You have to be above a certain grade in every single class, or you can't play school sports. In this case, it was basketball. Well, he comes home from school and he doesn't have that grade. And it's the the books sucks. The 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 miss I'm, like, say, out. I'm guessing. That Eric Capitulic is not marching down to the teacher and saying, you gave my kid the wrong grade. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So listen to this. So he's going on and on. So I let him blow his steam out, right? And then I'm just standing there and I go, okay, now, if you continue to blame other people and other things for that grade, you're a victim. So you're making yourself into a victim right now. Right. Locus of control. A hundred percent. And as a victim, guess what? You're going to end up with that grade. You're never playing basketball again, again at that school because I am not going to talk to anybody for you. So you've got a choice to make. Do you want to have a victim's mindset or are you going to have a warrior's mindset? A warrior takes 100% responsibility. Now, let's make sure we understand fault and blame are not responsibility. Maybe you're not at fault. Maybe you aren't at blame. In this case, you are, but let's say you're not. Okay, let's not even say you're not. You still got to take 100% responsibility. That's what warriors do. And in his case, I would have said a woman to, to my daughter. But in this case, I said, yeah, and that's what a man is supposed to do. Take 100% responsibility for everything that happens or fails to happen. Okay, so let me just finish the story real quick. So we, he and I rehearse that night. I'm going to play Miss Bissonette. You play you. Okay, so, so he has to walk in, Miss Bissonette. Let me start by saying I am 100% responsible for my grade. But I'm disappointed in it. Is there anything I can do to improve it? If she says to you, I have given you every chance you can, no, there isn't. You eat it. You say, thank "Thank you, you, Mrs. Bissonette. (laughs) I'll try harder, right? Okay. Now, the following day, I pick him up. I pick him up from school. I said, how'd it go? He goes, dad, it went awesome. I said, oh, great. I go, what'd you say? He goes, I go, did you tell her that you're 100% responsible? He goes, dad, she didn't even give me a chance. I got into class. I went to go talk to her and said, Miss Bissonette, can I talk to you? And she said, Axel, I'm sure it's probably about your social studies grades. You know, do this, do this, whatever. I go, so you didn't say it? He goes, no. All right, so we're driving out of the class. Miss Bissonette is standing over to the side, and she waves to people as you drive by. I go, hmm, okay. I pull over, and I go, good. Now get out and tell her. So he's there. He's got to get out of the car, walk over to Miss Bissonette, and be like, Miss Bissonette, I'm 100% responsible for my grade. 
right? He comes back and I'm like, all right, good. And now we leave. We have other parents in the same scenario because I'm at basketball practice. Oh, they they would be charging in right to the classroom. But like, I, but yeah. I hear parents on the sideline saying, oh, Miss Bissonette should have done this. Miss Bissonette should have done that. Oh, the book stinks. They're blaming the book for God's sakes, right? Oh, the book doesn't do this. They just don't realize what they are modeling for their kids through that behavior. We have such a philosophical difference in how to raise young people. Like, it's just a philosophical difference. We just, we're just never going to agree because you're, we're creating a victim's mindset in our country. And there's no, we, I'm, and I was trying to think about where we left with this because in, in our own homes, there's no accountability. Here, let's blame other people and other things. No, Axel, uh, your fault. You can correct it. And if there's not, you're not playing basketball. Real simple. That's the consequence. Nobody's, I'm not going to go bail you out. And it's not something that was done to you, right? It, it's something that that you did. I Look, I I have incredible respect for teachers. I could not teach today, I think, in listening to stories because I, when I talk about the, the stool has changed, right? The stool used to be parent and teacher allied against child. And now it is <laughs> child and parent allied against teacher. And that is an impossible situation for a, a teacher to be in. That's true. I agree a hundred percent. If I, if you or I, I mean, I don't even know your parents, but I'm going to make a guess. But like, if I came home and like the teacher said a thing that like I was acting up, like I was in deep crap. It wasn't what the hell are you doing to him to make him act up? Like, it, you know, it was that the fear was that the two of them were working together and that was account. And that was creating a line of accountability for me and my behavior. I mean, these parents just, I mean, they just march right in now and like blow up the path. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's a great point. Right. And, and uh, so how does that manifest itself to some of maybe your, your corporate or, or the athletic listeners here, right. Is when we talk about our childhood with our parents, right. And with teachers, right. Is there was alignment there. Yeah. So as a corporate leader, you and everybody that works with you, or how aligned are you? Do you all share the same value system? Are you right. all, even if some people may disagree with your decision, though, we do it behind closed doors. And then in front of the team, we're a united front. Th- those are the best led organizations that that lead. And by the way, and sometimes even, I don't think it's a mistake necessarily to, to tell the team, hey, listen, we have great difference of opinion here on what we should do with this as a leadership team. I just want you to know that. But what we're doing is X, Y, or Z. If I'm a manager there and I go to my team and go, hey, look, I didn't want to do this, but it's what that guy wants us to do. You think you think you're building yourself up. You're not. You're undermining your own authority because now you're saying, well, it's just what th- that guy wants us to do. Yeah. In the homes with this, if you have a united front, hey, listen, <laughs> Your teacher's right. You're responsible. And even if we don't even get into right or wrong, but you're responsible, then, okay, then that means I have ownership of this right. and I can agency. make a difference. Yeah, Agency, 100% agency, right? I, I, I can make a difference. And we don't, we're not doing it in our homes. And then poor organizations and poor athletic teams, they, they do the same thing. We're, in, we're inheriting it. We're the buyers. of Yeah. So 
Look, sure. I, well, I'm going to jump in with two feet now since we kept getting directed here. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we share a very similar philosophy around parenting. And I mm-hmm. actually think it's pretty interesting. And I've been thinking more around like looking at the parenting problem from the lens of of leadership, right? And I think mm. we're in this two-decade experiment of where this dominant style of parenting, I'll call it P&O, permissive and overbearing. And ostensibly by any objective metric you want to look at, psychology, like it's producing pretty horrible outcomes. Two of the most, I think, are anxiety, mental health, and then independence, where if you think about like creating leaders in succession, like people aren't growing up. There's actually a lot of data on like delayed adulthood and not moving out of their parents' houses. Some of that's financial, but some of that's emotional. I think that a lot of leaders, parents today, if they were evaluated sort of from a leadership standard, they'd find themselves like in trouble with HR and on and in a performance review program be, where where you just wouldn't you wouldn't keep doing the same thing if the outcomes were so poor. So I, that's the thing that's crazy to me because anyone in a business would say, "Look, if our outcomes suck, then we should change what we're doing." But it seems like people keep coming down on them. So. I know you have a very particular view on it. I love your thing on your stance on why is kids these days an erroneous <laughs> statement or concept? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to talk about kids these days, right? Yeah. Kids these days, this. Kids these days, that. Oh, they're this, they're that. They're that. Look, my teammates and I at the program, we work with thousands of college and pro athletic teams, which are all part of the kids these days, high school teams, all part of the kids these days, right? We love the kids these days. We love them. It's their parents we hate. Right now, I kid. You know what the truth sort is? Of. A lot of parents, is that sort of, a lot of the parents out there, we love. We love a lot of them. But man, there is a vocal minority. A vocal minority. You talked about your girls who play soccer and, and tennis, Right. There are so many great parents on the sideline there with you at, at those soccer games, but there's a couple yeah. who are overbearing, permissive and overbearing. You, you like and, that monkey here? Is that a good descriptor? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and they're screaming and yelling the loudest about how jammed up the coach is, right? Why? Blame other people and other things. You see, people have, there, there's bad outcomes with. Their children. Look, look at any statistic you want. Well, how about even that game? Do you think that kid is going to be respectful to a ref when the parents yelling at the ref? Like how? Please, right? Please. That's right. Look at any statistic of the outcomes, which you're talking about, of our young people now, right? The, The first thing you have to understand is don't talk about that it's generational or it's societal, because whenever you look at the numbers that you look at, there are some young people who are doing amazing things. Amazing things right but look at the statistics nonetheless it's getting worse outcomes are 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 getting worse and actually what is almost interesting take financial outcome because at some point you know you're you're anchored to your parents wealth and so irrespective of how many problems you have going on you're probably might be financially better but it's almost inverse, right? I, I think we should, the people with the more challenges and less resources have the best outcomes. And the people with the more more resources and less objective challenge are creating worse. It, it, in society, it was kind of usually the other way around historically. Yeah, I I feel like um, it's. I think it's from all socioeconomic classes right now for different reasons, though. To your yeah. point, 
for different reasons. And I know that, you know, things like, look, my wife was in finance for 20 plus years, right? I'm CEO and founder of the program. This is our 16th year in business. Things are going well for us. Well, look, I grew up, my dad was a policeman and my mom's a school teacher, right? With the dad was a policeman and my mom's a school teacher, you did not get everything. You got what you needed, but there was a lot of what you wanted. We never went on a vacation. Going out to eat was a major event in the Capitulic house, right? Yeah. But we had a mom and a dad, and they loved us dearly and gave us incredible love, and they gave us guidance. Love and guidance, but I assume there's also a lot of accountability in there, too. I use that synonymously with guidance. Guidance, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> they're they're not synonyms, of course, but they go hand in hand, yeah. Yeah. Um, so with our kids, I mean, the truth is, it's not normal, right? I mean, our house here that we're in, the pool in the back, the nice vacations, eat where we want, when we want, all these n- nice things. Well, <laughs> look, m- my son or daughter, uh, but I have this conversation with Axel all the time. He does not need to go to the Naval Academy, does not need to be a Marine, doesn't need to climb Mount Everest, be in the Army. Don't do any of those things. Those are the things that made me happy. I want you to do the things in your life. life. Yeah, Yeah, you live your life, right? Like, I don't care about any of those things, right? Like, you do those things. But God Almighty, don't grow up to be entitled, right? So if I don't want that to occur, but they're growing up in this environment, well, that's why every three weeks or so, if you drive by the Capitulic Farm, you will see Axel out along the road with a trash bag picking up trash up and down our driveway because it is tough to feel entitled when you're out there picking up diapers that people threw out their car window in old McDonald boxes, right? So as parents, I mean, we got to prepare our children for the path. But God, I feel like we just aren't. We, We blame teachers, coaches, all for your own shortcomings because we're trying to be friends to our kids best friends yeah being a parent and being a best friend is incompatible maybe when they're 20s or 30s but certainly not when they're teenagers i I feel like those are conflict of interest (laughs) being your kid's best friend and parent yeah and i'll tell you why i hope my son and daughter are never my best friend because that means my wife isn't my best friend i mean and if i'm using the term correctly best friend singular right like i gotta get that right so, so she's my best friend, number one. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want the most wonderful relationships in the world with my children. Of course I do. They're, they are my world, right? But what's in their best interest is for me to be their dad. They got enough friends. And then then for to be good humans, not great athletes or academic scholars or otherwise, right? Well, and, and that's – but you got to frame, like, what athletics is for. Yeah. Right? My kid's not playing sports to be a D1 athlete. And it's, by the way, it's also why I don't really care. I, I don't care, period, what sports he or she plays. I really care that they have good coaches. That's that's the other thing, right? People say, oh, my God, sports teach such great life lessons. No, they don't. Great coaches and parents do through sports. Yeah, I, I was never into it. But it seems like you could teach the same great life lessons through theater. It's about being a part of an incredible team with an incredible coach. Yeah, but again, right. that doesn't happen in a lot of places earlier on other than other than sports, right? I, That's right. 
music, exactly. maybe otherwise certain things. You know, it occurs to me I'm, what, what you think that part of the problem here is I think that the uh, the concept of wanting better for our kids actually in most places reach diminishing returns. Because I think that if you grew up working in a mine, putting your life at risk every day, barely scraping enough food on the table, I understand watching better for your kids. But I think in like America, that sort of pervaded to where people like you or me, like I, my kids don't need better. <laughs> That's not... I, I hear that all the time and better like better than what LeBron James has a great quote asked by an, an announcer about his son, right? His sons, plural, yeah. who, who unbelievable basketball players in their own right. Right. And LeBron James very famously said, I don't want what's best for them. I want what's best from them. Uh, that's a good quote. That's good. That sounds like something you would say. You could just attribute that set. Well, I, I do now, but yeah, I, I attribute it to King James still, though. All right. Well, tell me, look, I, I you're, a lot of your leadership stories talk about parenting. And again, I think there's this interesting thing. How can we start looking at the lens of as parenting and leadership? Also, again, you get no training, which is interesting. But tell me, tell me about the donuts. I love that story you're, about the donuts. Yeah. So we started this five chocolate glazed munchkins. <laughs> We started this when Axel was, he's 11 now. When he was five, he did learn to skate. I feel like growing up in New England, you should know how to ice skate. Okay. So he doesn't have to play hockey. That would be a decision. If he wants to play hockey, play hockey. But I feel like you should learn how to ice skate. All right. So uh, we're going to bring him to learn to skate. And uh, he didn't really like it very much, to be honest with you. But you're going to learn how to ice skate. So like riding a bike. Okay. So. Every day when we brought him to ice skate, learn to skate, we would stop at Dunkin' Donuts and we would buy five chocolate glazed munchkins. And we would, before practice, he would go over, okay, what are the five for? Let's talk about it before practice. What do you get these for? You got to earn them. We're not going to give these to you. You got to earn them. No entitlements in the Capitula Castle. Yeah, other than the 6,000-square-foot house and the pool that he's got back there and the bike and everything else. Yeah, there's no entitlements around here. So so you get the first one, and, and so we would ask him. Now, now, again, we had to coach him on this for a while, but it got to the point where he would you could ask him, okay, what's the first one for? Being tough. What's it mean to be tough? It means when you're tired, you keep going, and you share positive energy. Okay, what's the second one for? The second one's for working hard. What's it mean to work hard? It means you give your 100% always. What's the third one for? The third one is for saying please and thank you. That's right. We say please and thank you. Why do we say please and thank you? And they, he would answer, because it shows our appreciation for people. Exactly. And what's the fourth one for? For, he would say, for making it fun. And I said, that's right. Because whose job is it to make it fun? Is it your coach's or your boss's job to make sure that you have fun doing what you do? No, it's my job to make it fun. Okay, good. What's the fifth one for? And he'd say, because mom and dad love me so much. I'd say, all right, never forget it. Then he'd have his practice. And then after practice on the way home, immediately, because he wants chocolate glazed munchkins, he would say, can we do the donuts? And I'd say, yep. And we'd talk about, okay, what's number one for being tough? We'd go through it again. All right. Mom, what do you think? Do you think Axel was tough today? Okay, Axel, what about you? Do you think you were tough today? Any examples of you being tough? He would give them. If I agreed, okay, here's the munchkin. Whoop. 
he would knock it back in one bite. And we do that for the four. Now, number one, he didn't always get all four munchkins. If he got them every single time, regardless of whether he did those things or not, you're sending the message that it's not really important. You just say that it's important, but it's not important. Not a standard. That's not a standard. So, but what we would, I would typically do is say, now look, no, I don't think you were tough. Or, or look, you didn't say please and thank you. Didn't say thank you to the coaches after practice until I reminded you to or something. So we would then say, all right, look, today, if you do whatever, you can earn this munchkin sometime today. Okay. And we, that's typically what we would do. All right. After we did the four, we would make sure to highlight Axel, look, those four things make mom and dad proud. What we want you to make sure that you understand, though, is that most importantly, we hope that those that those things make you proud. That, yes, winning is important. Yes, it is important. But I don't want you your whole life and how proud you are of yourself to be just based on did you win or not? Because you're going to suffer some major defeats in your life if you're challenging yourself enough. Have pride in yourself for the process that ends up winning ends up being a byproduct of. Okay. And then we would always highlight, but look, number five acts don't do anything, nothing, do none of those four things. Do, do mom and dad are going to love you with our whole heart, our whole life. So no matter what, you always get our love. We did it with Axel. The We're now doing about it your with, daughter, though. Do now you do it with your daughter. Yeah. We're now doing it with Anastasia. So, well, what we did, <laughs> and you're talking about our letters on leadership yeah, yeah. Uh, that we produced. Yeah, the first one was five chocolate glazed munchkins. Now with Anastasia going through learn to skate, now we did five chocolate glazed munchkins revised. So, <laughs> you know, we we learned some things from when Axel went through it, and and one of the big ones, one of the big differences was. That idea of highlighting those first four make mom and dad proud. What we've added, though, is to highlight, look, yeah, but making mom and dad proud is, you know, that, I mean. You should be proud, right? It's it's really about making yourself proud is, yeah. is the thing that matters most. That's a major change that we that we made. And then the second major change was about toughness, is that we used to say it was about sharing a positive attitude. Now we say it's about sharing positive energy. I heard a child development specialist years ago say there were two things she said at a conference and I have tried to practice them. One was, hmm. yeah, telling you saying not I'm proud of you, but you should be really proud of yourself around things. Again, oh. not making it about not making it about you, which I thought was an interesting orientation. I've tried to do that. There are some cases hmm. where like, I'm really proud, but hey, you should be really proud. You got an A on that, right? Intrinsic yeah. versus extrinsic. The other yeah. thing she said, and I have adapted this to leader, I think this is where a lot of leaders who aren't trained how to give feedback, but they they default to character criticisms, which is really damaging for people. But she mm. actually was like, look, never tell your kid they're smart or they aren't smart. Like, obviously, we all know to tell our kids they aren't smart, but don't tell them they are smart. Like, that just gives them carte blanche. Tell them something they did was smart <laughs> or something they didn't do was smart. And this is very correlated to, I think, how leaders need to learn about feedback. I I've seen tremendous PTSD with people who were told they weren't something by a boss, right? They weren't strategic. They weren't smart. Mm. That doesn't feel like something you can change versus it, it was a behavior that you did. The fixed mindset, right? The whole Carol yeah. Dweck thing, right? right? Right. Fixed mindset too. And 100%, it, it, the, this gets back to the 
goals and and behaviors comment that we had discussion we had before, which is again, right? Kids come off a field. Oh my God, that was a sick goal that you had. High five in them, right? Okay, you want to know what your kids think you value in life is them scoring goals. Right. Oh my God, you got an A. You got straight A's. High fiving them for it, right? But look, we we're very deliberate in our communication as parents. I'm very deliberate about it with the people that work with me at the program. Our vernacular words matter. What we say is, I am so happy for you that you scored that goal. Same thing, right? Same amount. Yeah. I am so happy for you that you did X and Y. I'm so proud of you for all the hard work you put in Monday through Friday this week, Axel, Anastasia. Hey, I'm so proud of all the cold calls you're making that led to that thing, right? Like we're very deliberate in the words that we're using. Because again, if you're talking about, and then the point of saying that somebody is this, somebody is that smart. You're so smart. You're so athletic. What it could Give cause you permission us- to be an a-hole or whatever, right? Like <laughs> hey, if, if mom and dad tell me I'm smart all the time and I take an AP biology class course and I get a C in it, that makes me seem like, okay, well now I'm not smart. Or, or to be before, or the test has a problem because I'm smart, right? That's right. The I'm teachers, smart, but I didn't study. That's right. <laughs> so instead, you know, you, or you take a biology class, you get an A in and go, yeah, see how smart I am. But would it have been better for you to struggle and get a B, a C in, in an AP course? And the thing is with our children and with the people that work with me, I want them always testing their boundaries. It's it's how we grow. So be challenged, right? This is the single biggest mistake of this whole PO disaster, which is not letting people fail when the objective consequences are fairly low. Like just no failure. And look, the schools are at fault and the A's and the grade inflation. And you get a B and it's the end of your life these days. Like B was a good grade when I was in school. I I was a master. Good. For me, it was great. C plus was like good enough. (laughs) I mean, now, now like you're literally going to community college. Like if you get a 3.0. Um and and just from the simplest things of like, yeah, you forget. So I heard someone talking about my kid forgot their cleats. 90% 90% of the parents run to the field, bring the cleats. The other, you know, the ones who I would objectively say are the better parents or are going to get the better outcome are like, yeah, that's going to be kind of uncomfortable for you today. You'll have to navigate that and and probably you won't forget your cleats again. That's right. But these things, these are low stakes failures. And by not letting people fail when it's lower stake, then again, you and I and these teams are the buyers of this product at <laughs> 20 years old, where you say, hey, this project or whatever wasn't very good. And it's just an absolute collapse. Not you're not good, but this work wasn't very good. Whether it's stress inoculation, failure inoculation, whatever it might be, you, we have to do it. Yeah. But but parents don't. And, and, and this idea of, first of all, let's frame what failure means, right? Or failing versus failure. Yeah. 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 I mean... Absolutely. The, the, if you want a kid who's 11 and a daughter, when my son is 11, my daughter's six, they don't need to do anything. I can do everything for them. I can. 
Yeah, but I'm not going to be able to when they're 22. Yeah. And last basketball season, I had a parent take exception to the fact that I called their fifth and sixth grade boys on the basketball team, and I was the assistant coach. A parent got very upset that I would call the team men. Men, bring it in. Men, let's make sure we say thank you to our teachers tomorrow. Got very upset. These aren't men. This isn't the military. They're boys. They need time to, because he got upset because I said that uh, I talked to the team about uh, if you want to get more playing time, then you have to come to practice. You have to give 100% at practice. And if you have time to watch TV or play video games, that means you have time to practice on your own. Seems really unreasonable. Yeah. The point is, is that so they take significant exception. Oh, they, they're young boys. They need time to socialize and be on their own and watch TV and all this other stuff, right? Whatever. One in or out the other. And by the way, he sent that in a text message. Okay. So that should paint the whole picture for you, right? Text message, tough guy. He, uh, was, he was arguing for that they should have their TV another time. That was the, the main argument. Yeah. Because they're boys and okay. uh, don't yeah. worry about it. They, yeah. Believe me, I haven't. But part of it is, is that you, you want somebody to be a man someday then I got to raise my boy to be one. He just doesn't become one when he turns 18. That's that's true for all of our children, boys, girls, everything, everybody. It's, yeah. it's true for everybody. And we're failing it. Adulting, right yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just manifests itself. And by the way, I, I think that, you know, those things that we talk about with our children, because as a leader, that title of dad and husband any other title that I own, CEO and founder, as an example, it just pales in comparison to dad and husband in my in my list of priorities. But it's still significant for me because yeah. it, it work is a big part of my life. But those same lessons that we're trying to impart to our children, the same things that we're doing, having goals, having standards, holding people accountable. Those things that we're talking about that we believe are going to develop our young people, your daughters, my, my son and daughter, into, into great human beings. Those things are consistent, whether you're talking about our team, our family team, right, or, or our corporate team. We have to do that as leaders. Have to. Mission critical. Right. Our teammates don't need us to be their best friends. No, and, and it transfers because, you, <laughs> I, look, you can bet your bottom dollar that a helicopter parent, again, they wouldn't get this feedback normally, but a but a helicopter or probably snowplower type parent in the workplace as a leader is probably a micromanager. And that is where they would hear from their team, you are suffocating me, and they would get those scores, right? They're, it's going to be a very consistent not willing to set the standards, let go. Otherwise, the only difference is they're going to get the feedback in one area and they're probably not going to get it in another. There are no feedback forms. They'll be blaming. Look, show me the parent that blames the book or the teacher. I'll show you a parent that blames the economy or the dumb prospect for why they're not getting it done in, in right. their job, right? Or in, well, yeah. well, let me ask you. So, look, we're talking about getting people to do hard things in these teams and step up and otherwise a lot of that is around creating trust and i know you've mm. you've talked a lot about this you thought of it like how do the best leaders create or how do you create trust within a team or within a new team yeah sure as we both know right without it we have no relationship and no relationship okay we have no team then 
for me, first and foremost, we, you know, we, we talked a lot about accountability here, yeah. here today. The, the thing that I would highlight to people first and foremost is if you want to have team accountability, first and foremost, you need to have self-accountability. Be a thumb guy, first of all, right? Thumb, yeah. thumb man, thumb woman. I'm using the universal term guy here. And what does self-accountability mean? It means discipline. It means being disciplined to do it the right way all day, every day, in all aspects of your life. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to make mistakes, that you're not going to be undisciplined at times. And, and that's I don't. But you're trying to, though. You, we must have great self-discipline because I've got to be meeting the standard before I'm going to demand it out of anybody, regardless of that, if that anybody is my wife, my son, my daughter, or a coworker. If I'm not working hard, I don't have the moral authority to tell my child to work hard. I don't have the moral authority to tell my coworker to work hard, right? So you have to have incredible self-discipline. You have to embody whatever your values are as an organization. If you don't embody them, your organization has no shot as a leader. So you have to embody your organization's values, whether regardless whether that organization is a family, an athletic team, or, or, or a corporation, or whatever it might be, number one. Number two, in, in the process of developing trust is, is that then we are going to, first, let's try to hire people who share our value system with us. Right. Great diversity. Diversity, let, I cannot be more clear about this. Diversity is a combat multiplier. It is a combat multiplier. One plus one equals two. Diversity, one plus one could equal five. It's a combat multiplier. But not when people hear diversity, we we think of either sexual orientation or, or sex, sexual orientation, race, those things. And we should. People who do not share our experiences, whatever those experiences are. In our organization, we don't want any diversity in our value system. Right. So we want people who embody our culture and our values are our culture as an organization. So have that. Live it and do it consistently and completely transparently. Without consistency, there is no trust. Without complete transparency, there is no trust. Now, how do we create transparency? And this is why what we highlight and what we teach, right, buddy, is that if you can't effectively communicate, you simply are not going to be the best teammate or best leader that you can be, period, end of story. If we're going to be the best teammates and best leaders that we can be on all the teams of which we're privileged to be a part, we must be able to effectively communicate. What does that mean? First and foremost, it means be a great listener. That helps to develop trust. Listen to understand, not to respond. Yeah. We're sitting here listening. What's the difference? Listening to understand would be my first date with my wife, who, who my now wife sat across the table, right? Look, I know I want to suck the air out of the room. I've got my ego. I just want to talk the whole time. But it's my first date. I know I'm supposed to ask questions, nod my head when I'm supposed to nod my head, laugh at the jokes when I'm supposed to. 
Maybe I think about, I listen and she says something that I go, ooh, I'm going to buy her a little gift and bring that to her the next time to show that I was paying attention, right? That's listening to understand. Listen to respond. I can think about my last fight with that same woman. That was listening to respond, right? Yeah, 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 but this and, and yelling and screaming back and forth at each other, right? So be an effective communicator. Listen to understand. Try to understand the other person, where they're coming from. It helps develop trust. And then communicating your own feelings, your own beliefs. Hold yourself accountable. Hold other people accountable. Do it consistently. All of those things, how we communicate with each other, all of those things help develop trust. And we have to remember that trust is earned every day. It's earned every day. And we have to do those things, embody our core values, be who we say we are. Be who we say we are. You are who you are when nobody's watching. You got to be it yourself first. Demand it out of the warriors to your left and to your right by effectively communicating with them consistently some of the ways that we help develop trust. That could have been a doctoral dissertation on trust. Uh, So I hope everyone's taking notes. So Eric, what's what's next for the program? Uh, Is there a big goal that you're chasing for your team or for the business? Yeah, there's, there will always be a big goal that we're chasing. I don't know. Let me ask you a question. Do you uh, feel like you're a success? Uh, I mean, you've accomplished a lot, dude. Like, let's be honest with each other. Like, I think you are very accomplished. I am in the middle of reading this book called, just finished a book called Strength to Strength. And so I'm very cognizant of this answer around, I think people that are, in the success mindset, it tends to, it's like anything else that it's often never enough. And, and so I think they struggle mm. to, to yes, certainly objectively, yes, there are tons of things that I, I, you know, not in achievements, but things I wish I could be better at, I wish I could do differently. Um, so I, I think it's good to always have aspirations around, around those things. Mm. Yeah. But I think a lot of people have a success addiction no differently than they would have an alcohol addiction or or otherwise. And you see, yeah. I mean, one of the things about a lot of people is you say, there's my goal, here's my goal, here's my goal. And yeah. they get it. And there's not five minutes of appreciation and enjoyment before they reset the goalpost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was me, by the way. Yeah. That was me. Yeah. I've had to work hard on being happy but not satisfied in separating those two. That's good, right? Yeah. And, and by the way, if, if you're going to be a leader of an organization, if you can't do that, uh, you're going to have a lot of people leave your team. Right. Anyway, so your question is, is there another goal? There, there's always another goal. For, for us, it's it's performance-based. So it's yeah. revenue-generated. What's, what's our revenue goal in our athletic business? And what's our goal in our corporate business? Since we spoke, the biggest difference at the program is, is that we, although it's still the program, one company, we now have two separate P&Ls. We have the program athletics and the program corporate. That's really made us better. What's also made us better is that in a sea of bad decisions that I've made, one of the best ones was hiring Omri Rahmat. Israeli IDF soldier, Israeli Defense Force soldier, hired him to be an associate sales rep. He is now the president of the program athletics. And 
I don't know what I'd do without the guy. I mean, don't know what I would do without him. So yes, so there's there's certain athletic revenue goals. We have certain corporate revenue uh, goals, and we'll always have those, and we always keep an eye on them. But our focus is on being selfless, tough, and disciplined, and that's been consistent since the last time I spoke to you. Yeah. If we speak five years from now, it's going to be consistent then too. Who's going to run your parenting division? <laughs> my wife maybe that's my the wife. next one good answer by the way very good answer when she hears that that's you're gonna get some yeah i get, you get a free pass for that yeah yeah and no the uh those are the goals and and you know for uh, just on a personal level i'm, I'm sure you, you ever read man's search for meeting victor yeah. frankel yeah right, one right, of my favorite right, books. yeah yeah i mean tough tougher not to be you know and i really took something to heart that he he said, and this is where I don't know, I'd like to hear your thoughts about it, actually. But if you don't read, I feel like you're really limiting your your success. And that doesn't mean you can't be successful. Yeah. But I feel like if you can't learn from other people, you're only going to learn from your experiences. It's really self-limiting, right? Yeah, if you can, I would just augment saying if you can't learn, I think there's a lot of multimedia learning these days, right? I I have I have found some of these two three hour podcasts to be better than you know. I remember listening to one with Tim Ferriss and and um, Jim Collins, and I felt like I got the best of all of Jim Collins' books in like a three hour seminar, you know, that I listened to. Really? So, so yeah. I think there's there's yeah, I think reading's a proxy for learning, and you can you can watch, you can listen, you can yeah. Mm. Okay, so yeah, that's a good point. I I would. Uh... Yep, I would hit the I agree button on that. There's other ways <laughs> other than just reading. Reading is a big part of what yeah, for me absolutely. though. So that's I guess yeah. yeah. But no, good point. Anyway, Victor Frankel, uh, man search for meeting. You know, his thing is is success is being the best version of yourself. Yeah. Well, if that's the case and you believe that, you've achieved success if you're the best version of yourself. Well, then you only achieve success on your deathbed. And although I know that it's a bit you know, uh, you know, not nice to think of or or yeah, I lose it for struggling for the word, but I do believe that. So like when I think about when I ask the question, like, do you consider yourself a success? I feel like for me, I get it. I can look at my resume or or that stuff and and I think I see, man, you've accomplished a lot in your life. It's not over though. Yeah. Right. But am I a success? I feel like I'm not. Like, because this better not be the best version of myself. I mean, so for me, that's that's what that's what it is. And and along a couple of other books, I read a book having a daughter here who's now six when she was a baby. I read a book, Stronger Fathers, Stronger Daughters. And one of the lines in the book was, "Be the husband you'd want your daughter to marry," and it changed my life. Those are some of the things that when you ask me, like, what are my goals in life? Boy, if I can do some of those things, continuously make myself the best version of myself, be the husband that I'd want my daughter to marry. I think some of those performance-based goals end up being a byproduct of our doing so. Awesome. Well, Eric, thank you for joining us again. Whenever we talk, I'm always amazed by your experience and leadership in, in all aspects of your life. Hey, buddy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as we discussed through through COVID, boy, I love the your opinion for your listeners i mean i would hope that you're that you're uh signed up and like i love 
I mean, darn near every single uh, before every your Friday forward. But I I would feel like I'm going to be a, a broken record if I every single Friday morning I send you a man this was great dude like type of thing. Send me the but, ones you disagree with, and then I'll be good. Yeah, yeah. There's very few. I don't know if there's any that I disagree with necessarily. I think I bring up like points of it or yeah. or whatever. But yeah, so make sure you sign up for for your Friday fours because man, those things are awesome for your listeners. So thank you for having me. I love being on it. All right. Thanks to our listeners. Thank you for tuning into the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Eric and the program on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate if you could take a minute today to leave us a review or rating as that's what helps new users discover our great guests such as Eric. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.